Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. <clears throat> we'll be in verse 46 all the way through chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to try and be a little calmer. My daughter says it's funny to talk to me on the phone right now because everything sounds serious. My voice is uh, still struggling <clears throat> from last week. Lord willing, we'll get it back going. But she said, Dad, when you call and say, how are you doing, sweetheart? She said, it makes me feel like something should be wrong. <laughs> so <clears throat> nothing is wrong today. I've had a lot of people check and pray for me this week and, and don't stop. Uh, a lot of people say you don't seem like yourself. You know how hard it is being quiet? Like Christy's loving life. She's like in heaven. <clears throat> but for me, it's different. But feeling great, just Lord willing, we'll get the voice back uh, throughout the rest of the week. Um, the funny thing is, is that this passage of Scripture demands emotion. So since I can't give that to you this morning, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit deal with you today as we walk through it. <clears throat> Years ago, uh, on Christmas Eve, I was backing out of the driveway, and I ran into my brother-in-law's car. I scraped it down the side, I did enough damage, we had to claim it, whatnot, and I just had my car repainted from my accident. <clears throat> and about a month into that, we uh, got together, and my, my kids were learning to ride their bikes, and Connor was out. And Connor went to put his bike up in the garage. He's being a great kid. <clears throat> but his bike looked like my bike when I was a little kid. Did your bike, you had those rubber things on the handles, the grips. What did the end of your handlebars look like? Was the grip broken off and hanging by a chad? You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> his were. And so he's putting his bike up and then I hear, like he's more important than the car he's more important than the car <laughs> are you kidding me like can you not hear the sound of metal grinding oh my lord of mercy <clears throat> so I kept that scratch as a reminder that I love my son more than I love my things Praise God, a young lady hit me about a year and a half ago. I don't have to look at that scratch anymore. It's good. But in the middle of that, <clears throat> that's how I felt about the passage that James and Nancy just read with us here in, in Daniel, right? Like, God had just shown Daniel <clears throat> this dream, and he revealed it to Nebuchadnezzar. And what did he say? He said, King, this is what the God Almighty has done. And then Nebuchadnezzar, look in your Bible. It says this, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. That's verse 44, that will not be destroyed. I want you to know this. Before, before anything else, God makes sure Nebuchadnezzar knows that he is not the highest king. All right? Verse 46, Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face, and he paid homage to Daniel. And commanded that an offering and an incense be offered up to him. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, the revealers of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Like Nebuchadnezzar has just said to Daniel, Your God wins. Right? That's, 
That's what he proclaims. And then chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, like sincerely, man, like you had just been told the truth. You have just been shown what God's will is for you and for every kingdom and that God is over every kingdom. All this had been revealed to him. And so this are you kidding me moment, it's got to be a little frustrating. Have you ever been in an are you kidding me moment? Maybe you just show grace to your spouse. And then they break it. I remember early on, Christy would say, are you coming home for dinner? And I'd tell her, yeah, I'm on my way. And then I would, I would get distracted on my way and come home late. Over and over, she would show me grace. And in that grace, I would do that. And she would get frustrated. Why? She'd be like, are you kidding me? So it then became, I don't trust you. Call me when you're in the car and no one else is around you. Right? Like, I don't trust you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> When our child gets lost in a grocery store, do you ever have that moment? I did. Like I can, I can. Anybody in here lose their child in a grocery store ever? Okay, well, it was just me. Praise God. One other person in here. Thank you. <clears throat> like when you lose them, you're afraid, right? But when you find them, what happens? Anger, right? <clears throat> Are you kidding me? But Dad. I saw the candy section. Are you worshiping idols, son? Is that why you left me? You know, we find ourselves trying to navigate all of these things. I want to let you know something. Frustration can be a gift from God, but not a gift that you want to receive. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 22, verse 12 says. The eyes of the Lord... Keep watch over knowledge, but he overthrows, and that word means frustrates, the words of the traitor. The word traitor means unfaithful. So you see, when God gives frustration, he's keeping watch over knowledge, and for those who are being unfaithful with the knowledge that he's given, he gives the gift of frustration. And as we look around the world today, there's plenty of are you kidding me moments, right? Right? Two hurricanes in the Gulf at the same time. Are you kidding me? COVID, like the ever-changing season of COVID. Are you kidding me? We can look further into our political scenes. Like, are you kidding me? This is the state of politics. We can look at the racial issues over the years. Like, are you kidding me? This is still here. We can look and get plenty of fodder for our fire today when it comes to are you kidding me moments if we apply them to everyone else. But I don't want you to apply this to anybody else but you. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says. It says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts 
and intentions of the heart. Okay, I want you to look at the person next to you and say, that's true for me today. Ready? Look to him. One, two, three. That's true for me today. Now, do not say it's true for you too. That's not okay. Right? That's true for you today. <clears throat> we are excellent. We are excellent truth finders for everybody else. Right? I'm on the Baylor parent page. I promise everyone knows how to parent my child better than me. Everybody. We, we are gifted <clears throat> at examining other people with the word of God. And not that that's not okay, but you and I cannot examine others with the word of God unless it is quadruply examined us already. Amen? Right? We can go back to Matthew. <clears throat> and in Matthew, Jesus says, he says, listen, pull the log out of your own eye before you help someone pull the speck out. So here's the problem. We believe everybody else has a log and we have the speck because Jesus has no idea what he's talking about, right? Because I've looked in my eye. They look pretty good, Jesus. He's like, look again. So today, I want you and I to let this word hit your heart because it's easy for me today to think Nebuchadnezzar is a knucklehead. It's easy for me today to think about how this is gonna apply to the whole world, and it does, but it applies to you first. It applies to me first. And so here's what I want you to do as we listen. <clears throat> you and I should not be surprised at Nebuchadnezzar's actions. We should not be surprised. We shouldn't have an aha moment. And here's what I want you to know. Today, we are going to listen for the distance. Listening for the distance is what I would call the word discernment. Because people can look around and say, man, your marriage is so strong, but they're not listening for the distance. And you know the void that fills the space. Someone could look around and say, man, your kids are so stout. Your kids are so stout. And I would tell you, listen for the distance. You guys can move that stuff. That is mine. You can move it. I apologize. But you can listen for the distance. We can talk about how brave we are or how much we know Jesus. People can put accolades on us all day long. But if you, in your own heart, listen for the distance, you'll know your time with Jesus is minuscule. And you're thankful that the fumes you're running on is enough to impress other people. We're gonna listen for the distance so the Lord can give us discernment in his word. So let's look at Nebuchadnezzar, what he says, and where we're going. The Bible says this, <clears throat> Daniel chapter two. Let's look just at verse 46 and verse 47. It says this, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and he paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods, Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery 
Now let me tell you something. In the midst of this, we see two things. First of all, we see Nebuchadnezzar confess something that is true. Amen? That Daniel's God, our God, is the God of gods. He is the Lord of kings. He is the revealers of mysteries. That's true. But listen for the distance between Nebuchadnezzar and that statement. He says, truly your God, truly your God is. You see, he bows but who does he bow before? He bows before Daniel, doesn't he? He doesn't bow before the Almighty God. He doesn't lay his idols down. He bows before Daniel and makes a true confession about Daniel's God. Church, if you take notes, if you're writing with us at home, a bow does not equal surrender. I think this is a lie that Nebuchadnezzar got trapped in. You see, because he bowed before Daniel, he meant to compliment Daniel. He meant to compliment Daniel's God. But what does he do? He practices idolatry in the moment of confessing to examine his words. Truly your God is the God of gods and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Nebuchadnezzar was a heathen king. He had an idol as an advocate for everything. In this moment, he needed an advocate to esteem God's name, to heap praise upon this God who's done mysterious things. So what does he do? He treats Daniel as his idol. Do you see it? Do you hear the distance? Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even know how to bow before the Almighty. He's never done anything like that before. And so in this moment, he does what he seems right to do. He adds Daniel's God to his collection, and since he doesn't have an image to worship, he allows Daniel to be that image in his mind. Listen to the distance. John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that you, that they know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, surrender equals knowledge. Surrender equals knowledge. In the distance in our learning, in our moments of bowing, surrender does not equal an action. Man, examine your heart this morning, would you? Has your bow been misdirected? Have you been worshiping financial security and trying to bring God into the equation? Moms, <clears throat> have you been worshiping your children and inviting God into the equation? Dads, have you been worshiping 
your esteem and your image in trying to communicate to God through that equation. You see, the distance reminds us that that failure, that failure to surrender and that moment of bow, it confuses us. Why? Because the God who is over all knowledge frustrates those who are unfaithful. Do you realize when you and I point to moments in the past and not to the timeline of Christ, that we are pointing to to times when we've acted like Nebuchadnezzar. That that's the change. We can look across our landscape and we can see that playing out, can't we? Have you ever held on to a moment? There's no fruit, <clears throat> but you hold on to a moment. See, because you remember the difficulties that made you bow when you were going through that season of life. If your knees have come up off the ground, it was bow, not a surrender. <clears throat> if you only surrender your marriage to God when it's difficult, that's a bow, it's not surrender. If God is God only, if you only know Him when seasons are sweet, that's a bow, that's not a surrender. If you lift up an idol and only tear it down, when the need arises, listen to the distance. Surrender doesn't have a hollowness to it. It's not points connected by emptiness. John chapter 17, 3. I have come that they may know that they may know the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. Nebuchadnezzar practicing idolatry is not a surprise because his life is made up of a series of bowings and not a timeline of surrender. Examine your heart. That's not where he stopped, though. Verse 46, I'll remind you again, then we'll read to verse 48 and 49. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and he paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and an incense be offered to him. Verse 48, then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him rule over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And then Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. Church, listen to the distance. A kind act does not equal a transformed heart. A kind act doesn't equal a transformed heart. In this moment, Nebuchadnezzar wants to honor Daniel. In this moment, Nebuchadnezzar wants to show the world how much he respects Daniel. In this moment, he listens to the counsel of God's man in Daniel. In this moment. But church, a kind act towards God's people does not equal a transformed heart towards their God. Amen? The Bible is littered. 
It is littered with times when God blessed people who were foreign to him in relationships because they were kind to his people. I want you to know that. That's, that's biblical truth, like massaged into his word. When Nebuchadnezzar was kind, God blessed him. When Cyrus was kind, God blessed him. The kings who blessed Abraham and Jacob, they were in Isaac, they were kind. God blessed them because they were kind. The Bible's filled with pages of people's hearts who are foreign to God just because you do something nice for someone you believe belongs to the Lord does not mean that your heart now belongs to God too. On the day of judgment, church, the distance will be deafening. Because in the end, we won't say, God, <clears throat> I helped out Sally like this. My wife really loves you, and I honored her because I was afraid of you. God, I donated to the mission causes of the church. I was kind to them. Those moments, those moments do not equal a transformed heart. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar's heart wasn't transformed, and so we see him practicing idolatry. Now let's bring this home. Let's make it close to us. Our culture is looking for your moments a moment to tear you down or a moment to build you up our culture is made of moments church this morning I want you to know the impact of spiritual discipline if it's only momentary is not a road that has been walked to repentance momentary response to discipline is a reaction focused on the idol of self we are so good and not looking for transformation <clears throat> we're kind of being gifted at it right we look at moments you ever yelled at your spouse I, I'm sorry in a moment. Have you ever meant it? Absolutely. The next time you're similarly frustrated, what do you do? Are you transformed or was it just a moment? You see, <clears throat> a moment of blessing, if God's discipline is so shallow on our life that in the moment we are sorry but we do not pursue him and allow his spirit to transform us. Listen to the distance. Our culture says forgive yourself quickly, but it forgives slowly. Why? <clears throat> Maybe because as a church, we have allowed the moments to be sufficient and we haven't sought transformation in our own life. Man, we seek deep transformational approval, forgiveness from other people. But if all we offer 
is a kind act here or there. Let me put it in the words of Christ. Take the log out of your own eye before you start talking about the speck in theirs. You see, transformation makes us new, <clears throat> gives us a new heart, a new focus. Listen to what, what the word says here. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind, nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than you. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, and being humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Church. The enemy wants your one act of kindness to deceive you. He would love, he would love to surrender one moment of a one-off act if that's sufficient for you to think transformation has occurred. God doesn't allow us to wander aimlessly wondering if transformation has occurred. His word is full of it. Let it examine your heart. Has he given you a new mind? Has he given you a new desire? It doesn't mean that struggles won't come. Jesus was tempted in every way. He perfectly overcame every temptation. Why? Because he is one with God. What's the word say to us here? It says, the joy, the spirit inspiring Paul to write, the joy of this is complete when we are the same how are we to be the same when we are like Christ? <clears throat> Church, you and I cannot allow the thought process of our culture to invade the true transformational power of the gospel. Amen? We cannot deceive ourselves by one-off acts that have no depth of transformation. The transformation of God is amazing. It frightened the stew out of Nebuchadnezzar, but his response was a one-off. The power of God, the almighty God, is unfathomable. And therefore, the transforming power of God is equal to the source. So don't try to purchase forgiveness and don't try to wash away God's discipline with a moment followed by silence. Let the word of God transform you. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's actions, they're not really, are you kidding me, right? I think Daniel was appalled when Nebuchadnezzar was bowing before him. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was complimenting God when he was degrading his name. Why? Because Daniel listened to the distance God had given him discernment. In your life, listen for the distance. It should lead us to repentance. It should lead us to joy, to restoration, to hope. You see, 
Church, what Scripture shows us is that there's one true God and only one God. I want you to listen for the distance. Chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> and Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. That's 90 feet. That's like an eight-story building. 90 feet. <clears throat> and what did he do? And I'll, I'll summarize it. But he said to everybody, he called in everyone who was important, and he said, here's the rule. When music plays, you bow and worship. You bow and worship. And verse 7 says, if you don't worship, you're dead in the most publicly wonderful fashion I can think of. <clears throat> you see, I want you to know Nebuchadnezzar had a false belief that we need to listen for. <clears throat> he believed that a great image equaled good standing with God. He believed that having a great image provided him with a good standing. It proved his good standing before God. Have you ever been tempted to think that way? <clears throat> like, Lord Jesus, you love me because I ended the month with more than three digits in my bank account. <clears throat> Lord, you are having favor, but I am in good standing because I could afford to take it. When I, when I stand with you, God, people are going to like me. Lord, I know I am in a good place with you because things at work are going well. God, I know I'm in good standing because it's a really good hair day. And God, thank you for my new shoes. I know I'm doing well with you. Weight Watchers is working, Jesus. I, I know that's you. I mean, God gets credit for every good and perfect thing, but are you following me? Have, I'm not saying this is you, but I'm saying it could be. <laughs> Did you, do you judge God's, your standing with God based on how good things are going? Just a heads up, if that's the real test, then Jesus is not our Lord because he was despised and beaten and hated. His bank account was not overflowing and his car did not look as sharp as any of ours. <clears throat> you see, Nebuchadnezzar thought that this image showed blessing and strength. That was the purpose. Woo! Anybody dress up for church this morning to make sure people got that? Like, we're okay. We're going to sit in this car until your face stops being red from crying. You ever done that? Why do you do that? Because image equals blessing in a fallen world. What did that image actually reveal? <clears throat> well, it actually revealed is idolatry. Idolatry of the heart you see, Nebuchadnezzar worshipped himself 
And whatever we want to think of him, whether it's pride or self-doubt, he made sure that everybody else participated in self-worship the same way he did. See, he used this thing called stacking. He had no problem bowing down and saying Daniel's God is the best God. He just had a problem saying he's the only God. And so it offends Nebuchadnezzar. Follow me. It offends Nebuchadnezzar that he is willing to accept your God and you are not willing to accept all of his. For a moment, take a deep breath. I will not be loud in the rain, so if it keeps going, the Lord will stop the sermon. Check it out. Nebuchadnezzar said, I will tolerate your God. Why won't you tolerate all mine too? In fact, the only thing I'm not tolerant of is your intolerance about your God. For a moment, I know everyone didn't think of yourself. That's okay. We're living in Babylon. We're living in Babylon in a world that says you are being intolerant because you are unwilling to do what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to let you worship and say it's fine. In fact, I'll come worship your God too. But you're being intolerant if you won't worship all my gods. And therefore, we're not alike and you deserve destruction. You see, when one pursues the image It does not equal good standing with God. It reveals the distance between us and God. Listen to the distance. Isaiah chapter 44 says it this way. Excuse me. To whom will you liken me and make me equal? Compare me. What that we may be alike. Who, those who lavish gold from the purse, who weigh out silver from the scales, who hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god, then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders and they carry it. They set it on its place and it stands there. It can't move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save them in time of trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. You see, when Isaiah says this, he says, listen, it sounds silly to pull something that man has given worth to. God is not even called gold worth worthwhile so to speak we've given value to gold and in gold we fashion something out of an inanimate object and then we worship it and then because it is unable to do anything we put it on our shoulder and carry it home and we put it on the shelf where we worship it a God that cannot even form itself a God that cannot maintain itself a God that cannot transport itself we trust in God says, doesn't that sound dumb to anybody else? Listen to the distance. 
Are you worshiping the God that tells you how to, how to handle your finances? That didn't even know how to control the finances? The best financial minds in the world have lost everything countless of times and done nothing to do with it. Do you worship their voice or do you worship the Lord? How about parenting? Do you worship the voice of, of other things and other people or do you worship the voice of the Lord? Do you lean into what he says and, and the voices that speak from his word? With security, with love, with forgiveness. Three strikes and you're out. That's how forgiveness works. <clears throat> what I think scripture said is 70 times seven. You see, you and I need to see the folly of thinking that a great image equals a great standing with God. What does the Lord say? A poor and contrite, a humble heart. That's what he desires, not your fancy incense and idols. Listen to the distance. Jeremiah 17 says this, the heart is deceitful above everything. It's desperately sick. Who could understand it? <laughs> Have you ever been listening for the distance and heard a sick heart? Have you ever laid your head on the pillow next to the person with a sick heart? Have you ever laid your head down knowing you had the sick heart? If one sick heart runs to another sick heart, there's no healing. <laughs> so bury that image. Let it find itself crucified on a cross outside the city. The Lord searches the heart. He tests the mind. He gives every man according to his ways the fruit of his deeds. Frustration ends with the examination of the heart through the spirit of the living God. That's where it ends. That's where it finds itself. Church, this morning, <clears throat> examination is not high on the list. Image, deceitfulness, self, and we look in the mirror all the time and say, are you kidding me? How did I lose it again? Are you kidding me? How did I find myself running back to that temptation again? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I have nothing. Are you kidding me? Church, frustration ends with the examination of the Spirit. You were not called to live a life of frustration in Christ Jesus. The moment becomes eternity. The bowing never stops. In Christ Jesus, an act of kindness is not a penance to buy forgiveness but a reflection of the transformational power of the gospel, Romans chapter one. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the what church? Power. 
of God for salvation. Let the Lord examine your heart and remind you that your image before men does not equal good standing. Good standing is founded by the openness of the heart to God. Romans chapter 12 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is it. This is it. Your spiritual act of worship. This is it. Present it to God. That's it. It's not about your failures or your successes. It's not about these moments in life. This is it. Your body. A living, what do you think eternity will be? Delighting in God, the graciousness of his hand. Living in the fullness. Always with a bent knee before the Almighty. As you row, as you cook, as you eat, as you sing, as you visit with friends in eternity, you'll worship. Start today, the Bible says, therefore, don't be conformed to the things of this world. Stop, church. Stop buying what they're selling. But instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by the testing of it, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is not an impossible thing. It's not even difficult. The frustration in the life of the church can cease. But it doesn't come in a moment. It doesn't come with buying off the Lord. And it doesn't come to stacking God in to the false beliefs of the world. It comes through the power of the gospel. Church, this morning, maybe, maybe something else has gotten sprinkled into your life. And it's time to repent and confess that Jesus is Lord. Maybe this morning you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. In this moment, you need to ask the Almighty God not, not to speak to someone else, but to let the power of the gospel change your life and transform you for eternity through submission to your King. So the invitation is going to be a little bit different today. If you're with us at home, we're praying for you in this moment. As we sing, we want you to worship. But you may need to take a knee where you're at. And I know your kids may be watching, your parents may be watching. But you need to bow. It needs to be more than a moment. It needs to be the momentum of the beginning of transformation of change. If you're in the room with us, during our song of invitation, we're going to open up the altar for prayer. We're just going to ask you to keep your mask on when you come up. Kind of spread out if you do. But I'm telling you, church, 
if I had any energy in my voice, I would be screaming it to you. The joy of the Lord is our strength, but it is not tasted like a sampling. It is a banqueting table. And if you have been living in an are-you-kidding-me life, when you look in the mirror, God wants more for you, but it starts with bowing into surrender before your almighty God who loves you. He will search your heart. He will transform your life. All you have to do is lay it down. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Thank you for this day and thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word, God. When we look back Nebuchadnezzar's life, God, it's not surprising. And Father God, there are men and women looking at their own heart, frustrated and angry and hurt. Father God, would you let them hear the distance? Not the distance caused by another, but the distance caused in their own heart. Father God, that we might pursue you, Jesus. We ask that you fill the distance. And that we find ourselves prostrate before a God who forgives infinitely, who transforms permanently, and who makes the joy of his spirit stick indefinitely. We surrender, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.